I need, I need fury. Where am I needed? Yes! Greetings, friends and fellow gamers. Welcome to this episode of Not Enough Resources, our first episode in quite a while. Uh, we do have a Beyond Good and Evil episode on the back burner that I might release one day. Um... The quality on it is not up to snuff. We were kind of rambling in it. And I will eventually sit down and see if it is salvageable. So I do apologize for that. But today we are talking Alan Wake, a game that just celebrated its 10-year anniversary. My name is Ryan. I am joined, of course, by our illustrious co-host, Dylan. Dylan, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be back in the recording booth. Yeah, it's kind of great. And we also have a special guest this week. Uh, my beautiful, beautiful wife, Caitlin. It's very helpful for an audio format. Thank you. I appreciate all the compliments. Please don't look up any pictures of me online. <laughs> she is doing great as well, I'm assuming. I'm just great, you know. I'm just recovering from uh, having replayed through the, uh, the game we're going to be discussing tonight. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, do we want to jump right in? Dylan, had you played Alan Wake before we sat down and decided to play through this game? This was my first playthrough of what was a wonderful experience. What stood out as wonderful about it to you? I mean, we've talked about Star Fox Adventures and Beyond Good and Evil. You know, Star Fox Adventures had a very storied development. Beyond Good and Evil is just like a cult classic how do you feel this game stacks up in kind of like our retrospective series that we've been doing? So I think as games expand in size and depth, there's problems that arise from that because the expectation of uh, it not getting stale um, rises, but you want to tell grander, bigger stories with that technology allows. And so my playthrough of this game, it feels kind of in between. Beyond Good and Evil didn't really have any stale moments. There's lots of different little things. I never felt like I was doing the same thing over and over again. But it's a relatively small world in comparison to like modern games. Uh, this game had a large, what felt like a larger scale world to me. But they're a little bit stale in the combat department at times. But not so much like the the story and the characters all carried and smoothed that over that like it wasn't a problem. And then, of course, when you start talking about the, the DLC content for it that really explored what the combat and the exploration in that game is, then you see that like, oh, wow, no, there's there's more to this. Yeah, I definitely think the DLC was the high part in our playthrough as well. Caitlin, part of the reason we brought you on for this is because you really get down and dig on narrative-based games. And then on top of that, you're like a huge Stephen King fan, Twin Peaks, Twilight Zone, and our favorite, favorite trash, Riverdale. And Which like is basically Twin Peaks for babies. Right. And like this hits all of those, like it, it, it's structured in a very similar way. What did you like about it? Like going through from like a story side of things. Well, you know, from the story side of things, I just, I wanted to put in there that I had actually read recently that this game was originally supposed to be an open sandbox world, so yes. it makes sense kind of looking back at how some of it was structured and how 
when they decided to not do that anymore, it caused them to uh, stumble a little bit, I feel, at times, because there were these disjointed parts of the story that it feels like you were supposed to encounter with almost equal narrative weight at different times, but then when they decided to go back and make it more linear, um, when you sew all that up in order, it doesn't. It's it's kind of like diminishing that returns on having some of those beats that, if you had encountered them in a different way, uh, would have felt a little different. So there's times where the game stagnates for pretty large periods of time, like that first like hour and a half where you're kind of just stumbling through the woods, shooting stuff with your flashlight and then it goes you know oh end of episode one and you're like what that okay and the the longer you go in the game the more plot points kind of rapidly get thrown at you i liked i think you know the thing i did like about the first like third of the game is kind of the stillness that was more apropos of the twin peaks uh kind of feeling to it where you're like looking at the weird diner and you're encountering some of the weird townsfolk and like maybe something's wrong with them maybe this guy's just crazy who knows uh, but then as you go later and later into the story, it's, you know, turning more and more into this bizarro version of an action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has, I think, its place because then set pieces like the stage with, you know, the fireworks and the rock gods and uh, Barry with his <laughs> Christmas lights. Like you buy into it because it's so escalated so quickly that you just have to either buy into the world or you're not bought into the game. Um, but then the ending is kind of a wet fart because it's, I don't know, I couldn't tell, and I haven't been able to glean this from reading interviews and things like that, if they had initially wanted to expand the story past those initial first six chapters, like as part of the game as it was released, or if they kind of just had to wrap that up and they were like, I don't know, he's just in the dream cabin writing stories forever in the dark place yeah from get out like (laughs) that's kind of what it felt like they were like and we're done um you know as far as narrative quality for the uh the expansion packs and the the downloadable content um you know i i think they were fun for the most part but again like at that point you've got something that's so ridiculously high concept and you're like but wait there's more when I don't know how much of that was necessary. Like, you can just have Alan Wake stuck in purgatory forever and just acknowledge that that's what it is. Uh, I think that, like, from that that narrative arc, they really should have capped off with... Like, if you ended at Chapter 6, they should have capped off with the wife's... Like, what ha- like what happened to the wife. Um, yeah, because like her waking can... up in a hospital room and her it, being like, where's my husband? Where's my husband? And then, you know, cut to it, black. And then cut to black. I think that would have contextualized, like, that this is... Because I was constantly through the whole game, like, is this going to be a... Um, what's the island TV show that was... Lost. Lost. Is this going to be a lost thing? Yeah, is like, it, is this is all it, purgatory has, all along? All along? Is it a Shutter Island thing? Has he been in that, the um, uh, sanatorium the whole time? Like, it, but, but that it is real, like air, air quotes, as far as like in the fiction, the dark place is real, but they never really contextualize that fully. And even in the, the DLC, which like is good, they don't even contextualize like real life. And that was frustrating. 
Right. I think, you know, when you have so many of those high concept options being thrown in your face as the player, it and none of them seem to really be like, and it's not like there's multiple endings. So like, you're not sitting there and your actions determine which ending you get. And it's like, oh, this is the ending where he was he was crazy all along, or this is the ending where his wife is actually dead and he's grieving and he can't deal with it. Like the game just kind of goes, I don't know. You figure yeah. it out. <laughs> the... So Dylan, you ahead, had sorry. never played this game before. I have a question for you that uh, relates to the structure of the game. What was your initial feeling playing this game and then seeing end of episode one and then immediately it goes previously on Alan Wake. Like, what What was that? Because I know, like, both you and I, like, we're really big film junkies. Because it was all released as one game. Right? Yeah, it was, like, all, it released it was all released as one, one time. It wasn't like uh, uh, this. the sequel came out and they released it chapter by chapter with uh-uh. uh, Stranger Things. No. Yeah. That's not right. The Walking Dead. Or, like, the Telltale games, yeah. Yeah, the it, Telltale game that I'm trying to think of what that one's called. Uh, Life is Strange, thank you. Yeah, Life is Strange, yeah, is the other big uh, big player in that kind of stuff. But that, like, I that was exciting. I liked that. Um, I am playing through Until Dawn currently, and they, it does a similar thing. It came out after years afterwards, but um, mm-hmm. where it's like... That game's a lot of fun. I like that it it goes through and like updates you. Cause like, as I mean, we're all adults here with jobs, luckily, thankfully, but sometimes you, we might sit down and play through a chapter and not come back for a week or whatever. And so having that nice little like television episodic catch me up, I think is wonderful. And it also points out the important parts. Um, I think, and Caitlin nailed it right on the head where like that first chapter when you're running through the woods. So you're running through the woods for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so having that at the end to like point out what was actually important, because that was the thing that my biggest complaint about this game is that you don't want to leave any stone, any corner of the map unturned, mm-hmm. but so much of it has nothing in it. And, right. Well, and this game was released really right before, like, overturning every stone had actual value in a game. So, like, going back in 2020 and playing it, like, you're so compelled to look at everything, and it's just not necessary. I yeah. will never forget the launch of this game, because I showed up for a midnight release for this game. And it was the same night as Red Dead Redemption. And it was Red the Dead same night as Red Dead Redemption. And I'm the only one in line waiting for Alan Wake. Everybody's That's like, hilarious. Yeah, everybody's like, oh man, Rockstar and Cowboys. And I'm like, crazy rider in the woods. Let's do this. The collector's edition for this game, by the way, is excellent. I have it somewhere in a box. I don't know where, but it looks like a hardcover book that you can just like put on yourself. Is it like the one of his titles? Yes, and it's like one of his novels. That's awesome. Oh no, it's great. It's great. I, I absolutely adore this game. I... And, like, super jonesing for a sequel. Um, I do know for a while there, there was one in Development Hell that eventually got the axe. But I I love this game very, very much. So, um, I want to circle around to some of the gameplay. Um, Specifically in the main title, not including the DLC. Because I feel like the DLC kind of takes everything established by the main title and just cranks it up to, like, that perfect temperature. 
But I want to talk about a couple things in the gameplay. Specifically, the fact that you don't have a map. You get a compass. Kind of. And, like, I think that's <laughs> a really cool idea. Because it doesn't... I think it, it helps solidify the feelings of isolation. And it ramps up the horror in this game a lot better than... Something like a Resident Evil where, like, you find a map and then you, like, have the entire layout of the town. You just kind of get, like, this spinning compass. There's a Mark Brown episode, Game Maker's Toolkit, about how to find your way around when the game does not provide you a map and the way that developers sneak in, essentially, like, codifying, like, what you're looking at and being able to use those cues of, like, what's something that's lit up in the distance. You know, is there, like, there's the graffiti throughout the game in Alan Wake. Um, There are some moments where especially on the replay through that we did a couple weeks ago where I was watching some of the sections you were playing and I was like, if I were just playing this by myself right now, I'd probably be going in circles for about five minutes. Um, And that would be kind of frustrating. And again, because not everything is collectible in the game because you can't pick up every, uh, you know, different varietal of battery laying on the ground um, and you can't, you know, pick up every broom. Like there's not a whole lot of purpose to that. But I think the game does a sufficient job of still pathing you in the right direction to get to your objective. Yeah. I, I was, Dylan, what did you think of the gameplay? So I a thing that I really liked about it from the like not having a map perspective is that like so the two levels that really stand out to me, not as far as like, oh that was great or cool, but we have two levels that I think were very similar. One where you're climbing up to the radio tower. And running mm-hmm. from the cops, and then that that first level in the forest, and I think you watch the game developers get better at level design between <laughs> those two levels because they're very similar. You're both like going from point A to point B through the woods in the mountains. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and then you get the Ferris wheel of doom late in the game that is just absolutely like you know, we'll get there that's that's in the dlc the yeah. escher oh it's not in the main game yeah okay no, yeah no, no, that no. was that's some escher DLC. level bullshit um but like but those those two levels like you at the very beginning you look out across this vast expanse and you see that little beacon of light that you're headed towards and that all comes back to like your your flashlight you and your flashlight are a light in the dark fighting off these shadow monsters shadow monsters yeah i'm, I'm yeah, an eight I... oklahoma guys shadows <laughs> <laughs> well and i really like the flashlight concept mm-hmm. because like one thing that i kept saying in the back of my head as we were replaying it is like it's so cool that this game doesn't have a crosshair mm-hmm. like yes. it doesn't put like a ui marker like right in the well middle and this guy's not a sharpshooter he's a writer from right. like New York, who gets drunk and is verbally abusive to his wife. Like he's not, you know, he's not some master marksman, right. and the game doesn't let you allow him to be. Yeah. Well, and it makes it scarier. Like, yeah, it, it makes it. There are a couple of good scares in this game, despite it not being like falling into the traditional like just jump scare right. horror video game trope. There are just like. There are moments where you walk around a corner and you're not expecting one of the shadow monsters to be there to pop out, and they are, and they're in close range, and you have to hit them with the flashlight, and if you just mm-hmm. burn down your battery doing something else, then you have to you, or you have to use batteries to recharge, and it, it takes a lot to do with your hands to recharge and hit them with the flashlight and run backwards and hit the dodge <laughs> button and shoot them, or you, and, mm-hmm. and you just die if you mess up. 
Like, yeah. on the normal difficulty, I died a lot, and it was great. Yeah, that blazer and hoodie isn't doing much to protect you from, like, dudes with hatchets. <laughs> the other thing I really like about the combat, um, with specifically the six-shooter, not necessarily, like, the shotguns and the hunting rifles and things like that, but the fact that you have to, like, manually reload by pressing X for each bullet instead of just hitting X to, like, reload the entire clip. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I think it, it helps build tension because you're just like, oh, I'm out of bullets. So you're, like, jamming X as fast as you can mm-hmm. so Alan Wake can, you know, move with speed, right? The solution to the flashlight, um, like, I, I have a big problem with flashlights in video games because it's like, oh, is it does it have a slow recharge? Do you have to find batteries? And if you don't have batteries, it's completely useless. Um, but the fact that there's a steady recharge on this um, and you can use batteries, but like there's a limited number of batteries you can carry and you can go through all of them in a combat and not have any for the next one if you're not careful is very clever. And yeah. like you, it's not, you can still fight bad guys when you have zero batteries to put in, but you have to like dodge and move and while it recharges like by itself, and I loved yeah. that, you have to be much more strategic about your use. And then finally, like the last piece of combat is our favorite. We called it pocket sand. <gasps> I love pocket sand. Um, but like flares and flashbangs. Yeah, the flashbangs where you'd be like pocket sand, and you throw it, and it just goes poof. <laughs> <laughs> just drop like dropping because you could just look down and kind of drop it on the ground. Yeah, right. it cracked me up every time. Right. And literally every them. time we did it, one or both of us shouted pocket sand. And there were one or two times where it was like, pocket sand would be super useful right now. And we'd have to go find some. Uh, because certain parts of the game, it's very limited. The flashbangs especially. <laughs> but it right. was my favorite. Right. So what did you think about like the flares, flashbang? Like, I, I'm just like super enamored with like this combat system between like going through like the flares, the guns, the flashlight, and just like that quote-unquote circle of life that they've established in the combat system here because it feels grander than a lot of other combat systems where it would just be like, oh, we're going to give you a pistol and now you have a shotgun and now you have a rifle and then Leon Kennedy comes through with a rocket launcher and like it doesn't have that same progressive feeling, especially because at the end of each episode, they take away all your shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that and the, if you guys have seen John Wick 3, like, each section, they're like, each section of that film is a level of a video game where the combat is a specific puzzle, and, like, Alan Wake does this. I mean, there's a whole section of a level that's quite large where you don't have a gun, you just have a flashlight, and there are little, like, light panels that you have to, like, run around and hit, or use flares to, like, get them off you. And that was, like, creating they treated combat as a puzzle instead of just like hey do this mechanic fast right exactly yeah i think that's uh something that i really appreciated about it especially because even with with that in mind like there were times when the combat did get a little stagnant did get a little repetitive but at least you could tell there was there was intention behind some of those uh things that they were doing later in the game the big thing I hated is when you're in the combat with multiple shadows and then they throw the crows at you or the poltergeists. Burbs. The crows. Like, both of those are the, like, I, they're the devil. Yeah, they suck. Right. 
Because, like, the, the trick with the crows is, like, I hope hold you have a, a flare. Hold a flare, yeah. Right? And you shoot with your other hand. Right. And then, like, I liked the poltergeist, too. Specifically, like, when you get to, like, the big bosses, where it's, like, and now you're fighting a giant tractor and like things like that. Like I really enjoy those sections of the game too. So, so can we all talk about our favorite shadow monsters? Because my favorite shadow monsters were the park rangers who gave you helpful hints about the environment, (laughs) but it was terrifying. Also the ones, the ones I liked the least were the fast moving ones that would go. (laughs) Dylan, did you have a favorite? I, uh, hmm. The monster truck crack made me laugh, like, out loud. Like, the second I saw it, I just started giggling. It's a literal monster truck. Yeah, yep. Um, But then I hated, hated, hated the bridge, uh, where you go underneath the bridge with the first time you, like, are introduced to poltergeists. Literally, like, I died. I don't want to talk about it. I turned down, I think I, I I, like, broke to a point I turned down the difficulty and then turned it back up afterwards, because I was so confused. Yeah, I just, I really, I I just love this game. So let's get to the real meat and potatoes of this game that we all love and know. Can we talk about Barry Wheeler, the best agent a writer can get, like, ever? Um, he's amazing. (laughs) And so I know as we were playing through this, Dylan, I, I know you weren't here for this part, but um, I started fan casting Alan Wake the movie, and I decided that um, I had like multiple choices for Alan Wake. I think my top one is still a um, dressed up version of Shia LaBeouf, and Barry would be played by John Mulaney because you don't necessarily have to have him be a big guy. It just has to be someone who's physically different than Alan Wake. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of where I went with it. Like, I just, every time Barry said anything, I started, like, seeing John Mulaney, and I was like, I can I can buy into this. This is fantastic. I love that. My other casting for him is definitely Nick Frost from Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Yes. Yeah, that would be yeah. good, too. And he brings that physicality to it. Yeah, absolutely. But I yeah. I think John, John Mulaney, like, that's his voice. They, it, yeah. He probably did it. He wrote the character. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Alan! (laughs) Alan! (laughs) What are you doing? I covered myself. I went to the town store and I got Christmas lights. (laughs) Like, yeah, that would just be perfect. It's like the best third act, like, costume change, like, ever. We got it. And he he just leans into it. And he's like, no, like. Well, and he's just like, oh, Alan, you're not crazy. They're shadow monsters. Now I'm going to help you. (laughs) We're going to kill them all. (laughs) <laughs> Don't worry, I got it. They, they're afraid of the lights, so I'm just gonna wrap myself in lights. That is some galaxy brain. <laughs> you guys level gotta come survival s- skills. A- Alan and, and Hot Sheriff, come save me, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, no! Like, that's, that's where I like really loved the game, specifically at the end of chapter two, when you are talking to the guy who claims to have kidnapped your wife right and then later when you're going through the town with the sheriff and barry because it almost feels like co-op specifically like that first one yeah because the guy does not give you a gun so you just have to do the light Mm -hmm. and you're just doing the light and then somebody else is handling the gun and i really really liked that playoff Mm -hmm. for sure but like definitely like barry and the old gods of asgard like i think so great 
<laughs> I think the character work in this game is fantastic. Solid. There's it's... a great foundation for something that as long as you kind of just tie up over some of those overarching things, you don't have to disambiguate, you know, the the nature of whether it was all real or not. But I think you just need to narrow it down a little more. Just tighten it up a little bit. But that character works there. I also think that, like, the story here... To, and, and this might be because, like, again, film and television writing is a thing that I'm very into, personally. But, like that overarching theme of like what is writer's block what is is go like that the the white blank page being the scariest thing and the black room being the scariest thing they're these are like th- this is the metaphor it's very obvious <laughs> right. it's a metaphor it's a right. metaphor um, <laughs> right i i think like my fear my fear with a film adaptation of this is just how once upon a time in Hollywood, that movie is right. <laughs> um, but it would be loads of fun. I think, especially because like you would just lean into more of a horror film. I think you either do horror or it has to be, um, Oh, what's the, what is that movie? Um, with the, the house and, um, pre Thor Chris Hemsworth. The house and pre Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have yeah. no idea. I mean, I'm thinking like Shutter Island, but that's not obviously the same thing. Right. Kind of the same idea where it's like stuff is real, maybe. We don't know. I got right. this. <laughs> so let's jump to that then. So one thing that we've kind of like touched on here and there and alluded to is how great the DLC is in this game. There were two chapters that were released after you finished the first six chapters in the game. Uh, called The Signal and The Writer. And I just think that, like, specifically that first one, The Signal, just really, like, took the combat and perfected it. Because you get to that point where you walk into the field of Purgatory, and there's just all of these words. I loved that. And you have to be like super, super conscious and careful of like where you're pointing your flashlight. And, and the words do show up in the final like 20 minutes of the game proper. Right, right, right. You don't really make a ton of use for them except for like mostly symbolically at that point. Um, but, but once the they started tying it, it to yeah. power-ups and enemies and things like that, and you have to be very careful as to where you're pushing your light and if you throw a flare because you'll spawn multiple All enemies yeah. on top of you because it'll chain react. Mm-hmm. So like, I really like that, that first piece of DLC is, I would Super say challenging, probably right up there with like some mass effect DLC for like best DLC I've ever played. Dylan, what was your experience with them? I absolutely would have paid for that DLC back in the day. Um, if I had, in a weird way because like i don't know that i would have paid for it based on the like base game other than the fact that like we talked about it felt like a little bit of an incomplete shaky ending yeah but knowing now because i've played it obviously like it's well worth it i definitely think because chapter seven is the first dlc right yes that should have been part of the base game in my opinion that should have been the finale yeah Um, it would have been more satisfying Absolutely. Chapter 8 is beautiful, in my opinion, as far as level design goes. I've very rarely, if ever, experienced anything like that. And they just, like, straight up threw 
and uh, like they they threw the rule book out the window and were like, let's do whatever we want with this world that we've generated. And I loved Did it. Did you get stuck in the Ferris wheel? I didn't get stuck in the Ferris wheel. I kept waiting to get stuck um, because it was like, oh, there's, I'm going to mess this up. But I was very surprised and very happy. Yeah, see, my thing was when you get to that section in the Ferris wheel with the well-lit room, I went beyond it before it had like gone over the next rotation yeah. to open the door and then it kind of kept spawning us there and because like you keep going like eventually it just like drops you out the bottom and you die Oof. and like that was the part like i sent you a text message dylan where i was like look if you get stuck on this situation like if it frustrates you after like two or three tries Give me a call, I'll tell you the solution. Because, like, we probably sat there for probably a good hour. Yeah, it was a little rough. I mean, like you said, Dylan, this that last chapter is is actually visually the most interesting, I think, since, you know, you first come across the concepts in the beginning of the game. There's all the swirly gig tornadoes of crap that you have to deal with, and the Ferris Wheel of Doom, and, you know, the, the well-lit room. platforming. And and here's the thing, yeah, and I <laughs> there were no adjustments made to Alan Wake's ability to do platforming. And so you've got this character that's like quirping all over the place, going like <laughs> and just falling off of stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, Super Mario Galaxy, this wasn't, but I really appreciated that they tried to show us something different, which is what they were able to do in both of those DLCs. The, yeah, the physicality of, like, moving through it, like, using walls and jumps as part of the puzzles. Like, every time I had to, like, jump around stuff to get to the next part surprised me because I was like, this isn't what the rest of the game was at all. Um, and the way that they flirted that in between the, the combat was really cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, like, I think the last 20 minutes where you're climbing the side of the mountain up to the lighthouse with the lighthouse like spinning that was and, so like, cool killing everything like as it mm -hmm. spins like i thought that was like brilliant use of the light mechanic which is honestly like the coolest thing this game has ever done and like i don't know why more games don't do well and you're kind of doing that. that victory lap up the last hill of the game and it's right. like making it seem like you know just like when you get to the final boss in a lot of games where it's really the boss before it that was the one that was hard but they try to make it seem all fearsome, but really they do want you to be able to finish the game. So it's like you're running this victory lap and it looks like all these enemies are coming and that's like, boo! And every time the light comes by, it's like, fuck you guys! Yeah, and it that just was feels, so cool. It, you feel so powerful. Yeah. I yeah. I did um, encounter a bug in my playthrough that was pretty ridiculous. Well, you so you were playing on PC. We were playing on Xbox One because it's backwards compatible. Um, yeah, as, a, as of a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, as of a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, nice. So what bug did you run into? And okay, were you playing with keyboard and mouse or controller? At this point, I was playing with the controller. Um, I played the DLCs with keyboard and mouse, but I played the rest of the game with the controller. Um, the, there's a church in the town when you're on your way with the sheriff to go uh -huh. and meet um, uh, Wheeler. And... I, like, so first, like, I couldn't get the second group of enemies to spawn that's mm -hmm. over there in that part. But then I I got into the church, but the inside of the church didn't load. So, like, it was <laughs> empty. 
Um, and then, like, when I went downstairs, because there's, there's, you go through this, like, whole basement thing, it was, like, not, it didn't exist. The whole asset didn't exist. And so I could see, like, infinitely underneath the town into zero space um, and, like, made my way through the entirety of the basement. No enemies spawned, no nothing. Um, and then, like, couldn't open the door that didn't exist to get into the next part. Um, I had that happen to me, and then when I was running through the hedge maze, um, I just, like, tripped a similar thing where, like, no enemies and no assets other than, like, the hard surfaces spawned. It was really bizarre, um, hmm. but kind of funny. Uh, that second one, I didn't realize that it was a bug. I was just like, weird, there's no enemies. Like, it's they're really building tension here and making me nervous because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't run into anything in a long time. And you're like, you fight a boss at, like, that little... Um, what are they? Not a pagoda, but like the gazebo area. The gazebo area, yeah. And like he doesn't splodge, like waltz, waltzed past that. <laughs> and then I finally was like, like I I got to one of the where they draw um the like hey like there's a, a hidden cache of light stuff from the log lady here. Sorry, she's not the log lady, but she might as well. She's be. definitely yeah, the log she's lady. the log lady. Um, Her log has something to tell you. And I, I, like, couldn't... I was like, there's nothing on the ground here. There's supposed to be stuff for me here. And I, like, stepped backwards <laughs> off a cliff and reloaded it in. And I was like, oh, there's a boss? And there's all these enemies? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. Well, and you were bringing up the church and the hedge maze. And back to the DLC again. One thing the DLC does from a developer standpoint that's really cool is it literally just reuses assets from the game. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's, like... I mean, there might There's be, like, a couple, a couple new, new things here and there, yeah. but most of it is just reusing assets, and I really liked having to, like, play through the stuff that we just played through. You know, I thought that was a very clever way to, like... Recontextualize. Yeah, recontextualize seen. Alan's, like, escape from purgatory, especially... I want to bring up the well, again, basement... It's a, it's a metaphor! It's all the same things over and over and over again for eternity. Right. And I want to bring up specifically the basement because mm-hmm. that's like really in the first piece of the DLC when you're going through the church basement again and you have all the furnaces and you can set the furnaces off oh, to kill all so the awesome. enemies. Like that was really where that like first DLC like showed its hand. It super I, satisfying. I think they should have like, and I, I know that they were like, oh, this is a cool idea. We should in- put it in the DLC and that the DLC is set in the dark where the game is set in the real world. I wish they had found a way to integrate the like floating words and the, the way they integrated that into the environment with the full game, because like that really made push the combat over the edge as far as like, it was never stale in either DLC chapter for me. Right. Right. So the last thing I want to bring up, um, before we talk about a couple other things, um, The last thing I want to bring up is the spiritual successor to this game, the sequel thing that Remedy put out, like their next game after this, was titled Quantum Break. Which is set technically in the Alan Wake expanded universe. Right, because there are episodes of Night Springs, there are Alan Wake books in this game, so Mm -hmm. I kind of want to talk about like the grander scope of Alan Wake, specifically like with the Night Spring stuff, because this was one of the first games that really like tried to push 
a real-life element to it because you can tell they actually filmed all of those Night Spring segments. Right. They filmed all of the segments of the that Letterman, actor. Uh, in, the Letterman thing where he was like... Yeah, ridiculous. the Letterman thing at the end of the game. They filmed all the sequences with the actor in the cabin, mm-hmm. things like that. And then the brilliant part about it is because it's a TV on a TV is you don't have to render it at 1080p. No. You can take those like live action segments and render them at like 340, right? Yeah. And also, I don't know if you know this, there was a third game in the Alan Wake Expanded Universe by Remedy called Control. Came yeah, Control's not... Yeah, or, it's no, very, very a, good. There's an article that I read about from 2019 that was talking about, um, similarly to Quantum Break, where um, it's set in the Alan Wake Expanded Universe. You're an investigator looking into like these paranormal activities and like you find case files on like what happened at cauldron lake yeah which is super cool right so dylan as somebody who loves film like how do you like is this like the coolest project ever because it's a game but it's got film elements in it and how would you approach crafting something like that like night springs right from like Taking taking this video game and and with these film elements in it and repurposing it in the film medium. Well, I mean, like incorporating these film elements into the game, you know, because like Night Springs is pretty much like a straight up parody of uh, the Twilight, Twilight Zone. Zone. Absolutely, right? yeah. And I I don't know, just having like these like little four or five minute episodes of the Twilight Zone just thrown into this game to kind of texture give give the world a little more texture and is Alan Wake crazy? Is he in an episode of Night well, Springs? And the little and, like, and that you find out halfway through the game he wrote a few episodes of Night Springs. So right. is he manifesting these as part of his like delirium or is this something that's just haunting him because he's a writer and that's what happens to writers? Uh, but I, I personally appreciated how tight the little scripts were for the Night Springs episodes, because we always stopped to watch them when we came across one. Right. And there are these, obviously, just like Twilight Zone, these little morality tales. And at the end, there's, you know, a takeaway um, to, to learn something for better or for worse. And I just thought that they were consistently high quality to find something that fits into that universe, but also is like not so ham fisted that you wouldn't be thrown by seeing it somewhere else. Yeah. I think because like again I I've been playing until dawn um today mm-hmm. and so that game has like Hayden Panettiere in it and it has uh, the guy from Rami Malek is in it Ra- yeah Rami Malek is in it has the the dude that the Russian character actor guy from Armageddon and stuff mm-hmm. and and so like we're we've taken these real people these actors and we've put them in video games um and we've taken in video games and we've used real photos, real actors. I mean, we, we use like actual magazines and books to texture bookshelves and video games and things. And it's, it's a really interesting to watch these two things kind of integrate together as far as realism and, and such goes. And like, it's really cool to see. We're constantly talking about how like people's attention spans are shorter. Films should be shorter, but, they're kind of not at times um, and it, uh, telling quality stories really fast. And the night Springs stories are just like uh, less than what? Four minutes, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're and a you quibby. Get, you, yeah. You get this like <laughs> less than a quibby 
less than a Quibi and you get this complete narrative and that's really interesting and absorbing is really cool to me. Um, I, I get pulled out of the game. I, I like it lose my suspension of disbelief when I see straight up realism in it, but mm-hmm. I'm not mad about it in this one because like it, the game is just a big meta conversation about creativity and, and the will to create um, and you're killing your darlings and your darlings um, kill you your darlings yeah. kill you yeah and so like it it fits for this game in particular and i would love to see more explorations of like you can we can sit down and we could have a conversation you could write a thesis about this game on <laughs> whether it was from a film studies for perspective or and this is i don't know that this is like a thing at a university yet but like you could write a master's thesis on how this game talks about games and games being made and creativity um and that the story being told here like has a place alongside how we talk about pulp fiction and mm-hmm. uh psycho like and that's very cool um and or other like uh what's that Andy Kaufman film um Man on the Moon maybe uh but like just, I mean, film, films where we're talking about making films. And mm-hmm. here we have a video game that's kind of talking about... It's talking about making books, but, like, that's... It's the creative process. It's the creative process, and, like, name another game that is a study in that. Right. So, bringing up things like photorealism and things like that, this is also one of the first games I can remember that features product placement... Did that take you out of it at all? I don't remember the pro- what was the product placement. So all of the batteries are Energizer batteries. Yeah, that's right. I oh, and the phone isn't it like a Verizon phone? Yep, it's a Verizon phone. There's that really big Verizon billboard like at the end of the fourth act. <laughs> yeah, that's like literally and it's prominent. you come cr- you come over the crest of a hill and there's this big goddamn billboard for Verizon. Right, and like all of the cars, I think were Chrysler. Like the cars, they were, they they were, were the Chryslers or Acuras. I can't remember. I can't remember off the top of my head. Just a town full of Acuras. Yeah, but like it's very weird to see product placement in this game and not have product placement like take you out of it, with the exception of probably that big ass Verizon billboard. That even I was like, this is too much. Like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> right. But I think I don't know. I really like product placement because i think it helps contextualize the world and things like that right dylan what did you think about like all this product placement stuff did it did it even affect you did you even notice it the i didn't notice it um as i said but like in a game that's set in the real capitalist nightmare that we live in right (laughs) it makes sense for the product placement to be there do i wish that it didn't yes but if you want it to feel like my real life experience, then yeah, it makes absolute sense. I mean, yeah, I would definitely see some Duracell batteries in real life going to all these different places and picking up batteries. Not just one kind of battery. That's not how right. product placement works. Right. So it, it, almost, really... it would have been distracting if they were all like Energorp. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, then it would have been a joke. Like, and yeah. you would be able to buy limited run Energizer batteries labeled Energorp. <laughs> right which would have been amazing right but they're only available during deer fest 
Oh, oh god! I, I loved Deerfest, especially like when the well, giant. It's like how you mark time in the game is like what relation are you to like when Deerfest is right to like this weekend party, but like especially at the near the end of the game where the giant Deerfest float for the parade oh, becomes a poltergeist, and you have like this giant dumb deer head just like being thrown at Going, you, right? and you're like, oh crap, <laughs> right. Uh, I just love this game. This game's so much fun. I love it. I love it. I love it. I play it probably once every three or four years. Just for funsies. I but, hope that it, if you aren't into the tropes that this game talks about, because like I, I talked to somebody because I've been trying to get some friends of mine to play Monster of the Week, which is a Monster of the Week trope game. So like X-Files. Nice. Um, Buffy, all Buffy, that. Buffy yeah. all of that, and and stuff. Because I I've always Supernatural. I've always loved all that stuff. Um, I mean, even like Twin Peaks. So get experience some of that because it's really fun. It's a very American centric like story, in my opinion. Um, and not that's not like me being like pro patriotism. I don't want anybody to take that out of context. But it is like a specific the American diner is kind of at the center of all of these stories. Well, and, and for I me, the that. Americana aspect is when this game is at its strongest because it's really playing off of, again, those American dreams, the American ideals and pulling it back to like what that means versus being a creative and what this guy's life really looks like. It's not, you know, the Americana sheen over everything with like wood paneled walls and, you know, shiny Chrome counters. Like it's not. And so that that's always really compelling to look at, at least from, you know, the americana like perspective yeah the the route 66 like imagery of sonic american drive-in is not really what any of that was like at all and this evokes that mm -hmm. so before we wrap up a uh, couple things so our hiatus over the past couple months was because of a combination of the covid pandemic and the protests for Black Lives Matter around the world. And that is just something that I wanted to touch on because these things do matter. And I just feel like we have a platform and we are obligated to speak because that is what a platform is for. And um, I just wanted to bring that to light. I know a lot of the protests are quote-unquote, dying down because they're not being focused on by the medium. But, you know, if you're out there, please, please, please take care of yourself and take care of others. Wear your masks because a lot of new data is coming out that shows that masks are super effective against COVID. And so, in cities where the protesters primarily did wear masks are cities where they're not seeing huge spikes in COVID. Because now we're hitting that two week, uh, two and a half week mark after the protests started. Uh -huh. And it's such a big contrast to what we saw over folks that just went out over Memorial Day weekend. The anti-mask crowd saw huge spikes about two weeks after Memorial Day. But we're seeing less, we're seeing more blunted spikes. Uh, and we'd rather keep those numbers down. Um, I work in public health and, and healthcare, so I definitely have a vested interest in uh, making sure you guys wear your goddamn masks. Yeah. Be like Barry. Use your galaxy brain. Wear that mask. That's Wear right. those Christmas lights. So, uh, just wanted to touch on that before uh, we talk about our next game that we're playing through, which actually has a little bit to do with that kind of Americana that you guys were 
Speaking of just now, so Dylan, why don't you tell the folks about the next game we're going to be playing, Kentucky Route Zero. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be playing Kentucky Route Zero. I, <laughs> um, I literally don't know anything about it, but I have heard that it's going to reinvigorate my interest in art and make me believe in art again. And that's a really tall order, but if it does it, I that yes great bring it on let me play this game uh i'm very excited about it i've heard um super positive reviews from anybody i've talked to about it um do you know a little bit more about what kind of game it is ryan it's kind of like an old school adventure game not necessarily like combat focused more puzzle more thinky okay um less pointy and shooty not you know dissimilar to alan wake (laughs) Oh, I love this game so much, guys. It's It's been a blast talking about it and a blast playing through it as well. Uh, before we sign off, Caitlin, do you have any passing words of wisdom? Uh, like I said, wear your mask. Um, you can always check out the other places you can find me, like on my podcast, uh, My Side of the Fence, available where you listen to things with your ear holes. Um, otherwise, you know, keep playing games. Dylan, do you have any... Parting words of wisdom for our lovely listeners. Uh, yeah, wear a mask. Uh, keep protesting. This fight's going to be a long one um, for defunding the police uh, among true equality among American citizens. Of course, one thing that we always, always stress, wash your damn hands. 20 seconds. Uh, this podcast is probably going to clock out around 52 minutes. That's a lot of 20-second increments. And as always, when you're playing online, playing against other people, remember, those are people too. Just remember, please, be kind to your fellow gamers.